Let us turn in God's word this evening to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4. Our text will be verses 35 through the end of the chapter. We will not reread that due to its length. Let's begin reading at Mark 4, verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they... They should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. These are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as Hear the word and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? 
For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth it in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. In the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, why is it that you are so fearful? And how is it that ye have no faith? Those were the questions 
that Jesus Christ put to his disciples as they were in the boat in the midst of the sea. Those were pointed questions, questions that certainly would have been difficult for the disciples to hear from their Lord and their Savior. But they were necessary questions. Questions used by Jesus to reveal the spiritual weakness that characterized the disciples. Why is it that you are so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And just as those questions were necessary for the disciples of old to consider, so equally they are important and necessary for you and for me to consider. Children of God must consider these questions. Why are we fearful? And how is it that in certain situations we behave as if We have no faith. These questions are used by Jesus to work in us a conviction of our sins, to show to us the weakness of our faith, and then bring us again to cry out for help which comes alone in the name of Jehovah, who through His Son, Jesus Christ, speaks to the storms and the trials of this earth, and He commands them with authority, peace, be still. We use that as our theme this evening, peace, be still. First, fearful. Second, admonished. Third, fearful. Let's begin by considering the context in which this miracle took place. The scriptures inform us that Jesus Christ and the disciples were setting off for an evening of sailing on the Sea of Galilee. In the day leading up to that evening, Jesus and the disciples had been busy. They were on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. So if you think of the map, they're in between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee, right alongside the coast there of the Sea of Galilee. And as they labored there, Jesus began teaching the multitudes, great multitudes of people, by using parables. And there was such a great fascination among the crowds of people with this instruction of Jesus that it was necessary that Jesus find a different place in order to address the crowds. They they pressed up against the shoreline. So 
Jesus went out into a boat, had that boat go a little ways off of the shore of the sea, and the multitudes of people stood along the shoreline, and Jesus, sitting out in that boat, spoke to the crowds of people. We're told that he spoke to the people with many different parables. Verse 33, And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Following then a busy day of ministering to the people by expounding to them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus Christ now is tired. So he comes to the disciples and suggests to them that they get on a boat together and that they sail that evening from the western side of the Sea of Galilee to go to the eastern side. The eastern side was less populated. It was an area where Jesus could find reprieve from the crowds of people that pressed up against him. The disciples were agreeable to this suggestion of Jesus, so they get into their boat. The scriptures inform us that they did not take off sailing alone, but that there were other little boats that accompanied them, a small fleet of boats sailing in an easterly direction across the sea. When they took off, the waters were calm. But then suddenly, there came a violent storm. It's remarkable how fast the weather can change. We were struck by this even ourselves personally this past Friday with the sudden squalls of weather that would come through, flurry of flakes that would come down, and then the wind would come and move that away, and the sun would come back out again. Suddenly, as the disciples and Jesus were out on this boat, there came a storm. But it was not just a passing squall that would go over. No, this was a powerful and an enduring storm. The scriptures tell us that there was a great storm of the wind. Verse 37, so that the waves beat into the ship. That word translated a great storm of the wind could otherwise be translated as a hurricane. Matthew, in the parallel account of this event in Matthew chapter 8 calls it a great shaking or a sea quake that happened. Now, let's recall that the disciples were veterans of the sea. They were experienced fishermen. They knew what storms were like. They knew how to handle large storms. But the disciples quickly understood that this storm was so great that if it continued it would capsize the ship in which they were. The Scriptures tell us that the water began to enter into the boat as the the waves beat against that 
boat, the water went over the edge of the boat and began to fill it so that that boat is sitting lower and lower in the water. And where is Jesus? He's in the hinder parts, the lower parts of the boat. King James says he's sleeping on a pillow. Or literally sleeping on a headrest. Could have been any sort of support for his head. It could have been a bench that propped our Savior's head up in the boat. Unconcerned about the boat rocking back and forth, the hurricane force winds beating against the sides of the boat, the frantic cries of the disciples. He's sleeping. Now how would you respond if you were in that context? For us to understand the application of this, we must be able to identify some of the key elements of this narrative. There's the ship with the disciples in it, there's the water, and then there's the storm. And it's quite straightforward what these picture the ship with the disciples in it that pictures the church. Disciples were the leaders of the church at that time, and as such were representative of the whole church. The water where the ship was found, well, that pictures the world. The church is in the midst of the world. Jesus gathers his church from out of the world. It's the church that's on this earth. And then the storm that beat against the ship. That's a picture of the assaults of the world against the church. The various attempts of the world to destroy the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. In what ways does the world attack? church. What is the storm of the world that presently seeks to capsize us? I suppose there's a number of things that could be listed. How is the world working against us as a church? It's trying to destroy the homes, family life, marriages, Problems of abuse in the church. That's how the world is working. How does the world try to attack the church? What are the storms that come? False doctrine. Seeking to turn the church away from Jesus Christ, who is her head. What are the storms that beat against the church? Worldliness. 
adapting the clothing, the language, the behavior of the world. So many storms that beat against the church and try to turn that church upside down so that the church is indiscernible from the world anymore. But the question this evening is, how do you respond to those assaults of the world against the church? In that context, the disciples responded with fear. They were terrified for their lives. Their fear is evident in the response of Jesus, verse 40, when Jesus said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? And as well, the fear of the disciples is evident in the charge that they brought against Jesus and the 38th verse. They awoke Jesus and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Those are the words of frightened and anxious men. They went and shook Jesus and woke him up from his sleep, and then immediately they brought a charge against Jesus, and the accusation that they brought against him cannot be softened down. It was an accusation to their Lord and Savior that Jesus Christ was unconcerned about the welfare of the disciples in that boat. They were accusing Jesus Christ of indifference, even a hard-heartedness to the evident plight of the disciples. This was a criticism of the man whom they called Master, the one who had just been with them all day, teaching, giving unto them parables, revealing unto them the kingdom of heaven. And now they charged that man with not caring about them in that storm. Now before we become too harsh here in judging the disciples for their fear, let us remember that from their perspective, the ship was going down. They had enough experience in sailing to tell that apart from miraculous intervention, all of the occupants of that boat were going to end up in the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Who would have behaved any differently? They were not wrong to judge that they would perish, but they were wrong to judge that Jesus did not care that they would perish. So we return to the question, what is the threat to the church? In what way is the world seeking to capsize the church? We listed earlier several different ways in which the world is attacking the church. 
but we must become more specific. We must recall that this event of the storm that happened in the Sea of Galilee was not an accident. It was not something that happened by chance. It wasn't merely bad fortune or bad luck that the disciples ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. The way it reads in Mark, it almost seems that way. Mark reports this as if he's a bystander giving his report here for the news. That there arose this great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it's now full. But the reality is that God was in perfect control over this storm. God had a specific lesson that He was seeking to teach the disciples. There was a weakness in the disciples, and that weakness needed to be uncovered. And God used that storm to uncover that weakness, pull back, as it were, the layers, so that it would be evident to all the weakness of the disciples. And what was that weakness, beloved? It was weakness of faith. It was a failure to trust that the Master who was with them was not only capable, but also willing to protect them in all of the storms that beat against them. The disciples for a long time now had had that struggle of the weakness of their faith. But God in His wisdom needed to reveal that weakness. So He sent that storm for the specific purpose of revealing that particular infirmity, spiritual infirmity in the disciples' hearts. And is not that, beloved, the threat that the Holy Spirit calls our attention to in this text? The threat that faces us today is weakness of faith. Weakness of faith. When one has weakness of faith, they will always respond in the wrong way to the trials of this earth. We spoke earlier of false doctrine that beats against the church. How does the person who has weakness of faith respond when there arises word of false doctrine? The person who has weakness of faith immediately concludes that the whole church is rotten and corrupt, that there's nothing good left in this church because of one charge of false doctrine. Weakness of faith becomes concerned immediately. Or what about the example of 
marriage problems, abuse that happens in the church? How does the person who has weakness of faith respond to that? As soon as that individual hears of reports of abuse throughout the church, that individual who is governed by and characterized by weakness of faith immediately becomes suspicious of everybody in the church. Can't trust anybody anymore, and you for sure can't trust the elders to do their work anymore because there's this concern in the church. Or worldliness. Somebody sees worldliness, evidences of worldliness. How does weakness of faith respond to that? You can't sleep at night. We're so worried, so anxious that the next generation is going to be so worldly that they're going to get swept out into the world. There's always going to be things that come from the world and that assault the church of Jesus Christ. And so many of those things, we have very little control over them. Oh, like the disciples, we take the oars in our hands and we row as hard as we can to get to the shore. But just as the disciples found that the best of their efforts to row that boat to the shore in the midst of the storm proved to be insufficient, so we experience as well that we cannot navigate the church of Jesus Christ out of all of the trials and the hardships that come against it. And so the question is then, how do you respond? And the disciples responded with fear. Jesus admonished them for that fear. Mark gives this admonishment after Jesus calmed the sea. First, Jesus said, peace be still. And then Mark gives the record of Jesus' admonishment. Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, gives the admonishment before Jesus calms the seas. And so we are going to follow the order of set forth in Matthew chapter 8 of Jesus first giving this admonishment and then calming the seas. Verse 40 contains the admonishment. And Jesus said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Notice with me for what Jesus did as well for what Jesus did not admonish the disciples. It's noteworthy here that Jesus Christ did not admonish the disciples for their unwarranted, critical charge that they brought against Him. Remember, as the storm was going, Jesus Christ was asleep in the ship and the disciples accused Jesus of not caring for them. It was an accusation that Jesus was indifferent to their sufferings. 
It was a charge that Jesus Christ was not an empathetic or a merciful high priest. It's striking here that Jesus does not respond to that charge of the disciples. Instead, Jesus gives here an example of a loving response to frightened people. The scriptures teach us that love overlooks many faults. And in this particular instance, Jesus overlooked that fault of the disciples, that unwarranted charge that they brought against him. And instead, he did admonish them for their fear. Why is it that ye are so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? See, Jesus understood that fear is a powerful emotion found in mankind. Jesus understood that when one is controlled by fear and anxiety, that that individual will do or say things that normally that individual never would even think of performing or saying. Some individuals, when they are controlled by fear, can do salutary works, good deeds. There are reports of people performing heroic actions when they're controlled by fear. A person who's able to hoist up part of a vehicle if a child is trapped underneath. But on the other hand, when people are controlled by fear, they do not always perform good deeds. But oftentimes when people are controlled by fear, They say things, they do things that arise out of frustration, that arise out of not knowing how to handle the situation. Jesus Christ, with His question about fear, why are you so fearful, cut right to the heart of the problem. Why did the disciples come to him with that strong accusation? It was misguided frustration. They were upset about the fact that the storm was beating against the ship, that the water was coming in, and that that ship was going to capsize. That was the source of their fear and their frustration, and they took out that frustration on Jesus Christ. So Jesus, in a perfect example of addressing the fears of God's people did not call them out for their angry words against him but address the matter of fear this requires great wisdom for us to do the same For who of us has not had it at one point or another in life where someone comes, someone is very emotional, 
They have strong words, accusatory words, words not intended to edify, but words intended to destroy. How often does this not happen even in marriage? Wife to the husband or the husband to the wife. You don't care? If you loved me, you would do this, you would do that. You don't care for me. It takes wisdom to know how to respond in those situations. And the way of wisdom generally is not to deal with the opening accusatory words, but to try to figure out what's going on. Is there fear in that person's We see here that Jesus was teaching his disciples, teaching them that there is a close relationship between fear and faithlessness. He said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And when Jesus says here that the disciples have no faith, we mustn't understand that to mean that there was not at all that indwelling Spirit who united them with their Lord and with their Savior. Well, there's evidence here that the disciples did have faith. You see faith even in the fact that they bothered to wake up Jesus. Jesus was the son of the carpenter. If they had no faith in Jesus Christ, why bother to wake up the son of the carpenter? What's he's go- what is he going to do? The fact that they did wake him up indicates that they had some hope in him. And then as well, there's evidence of faith in the disciples with the name that they addressed him by. They called him Master. And Master means Lord or Ruler, the one who oversees. So there's evidence here of faith. The way in which we ought to understand the words of Jesus Christ, how is it that you have no faith is this way, that in this particular circumstance, the disciples did not have faith in Jesus Christ. Generally, they were the children of God, apart from Judas Iscariot. Generally, they were united unto Jesus Christ with that bond of faith. And generally, throughout Earth's, the earthly pilgrimage, they operated according to the principle of faith. But in this particular circumstance, when they thought that the ship was going down, they no longer operated according to faith. And so that's the sense then in which Jesus Christ charges them with having no faith, or at least gives the question to them, how is it that ye have no faith? Faith and fearfulness go hand in hand. The fearful person is the person who lacks faith. And the person who lacks faith is oftentimes the fearful individual. Faith, as is described in the Heidelberg Catechism, 
is a certain knowledge and an assured confidence. Faith gives unto one the ability to have a different perspective on the events of this earth. Apart from faith, all that one can see are the trials and the hardships that come. The waves that rock against the boat and threaten to sink it. But by faith, we are given the confidence that there's a divine power that is behind and in control of all of these circumstances of life. We must keep in mind then that faith and faith and fearfulness go hand in hand. Or at times, do we not try to justify our fears? We do not do so for the neighbor, but for our own fears. We try to make them legitimate who would not be fearful, anxious in this situation. I'm a high school senior. I'm set to graduate. I have important tests. I have to make big decisions about the future. Isn't it understandable that I'm going to be fearful and a little bit stressed in this situation? I am a mother caring for many children. I am responsible for their care, both physical and spiritual. This is a demanding work. It goes on day and night. Is it not understandable that I as a mother am going to be fearful at times? For my children, I am a husband, a father. I am responsible for providing financially for my home. What a burden that is for me day after day after day to toil in the shop in the office, in the school place? Is it not understandable that I as father am going to be fearful at times about whether or not we have enough money to pay the bills and the church and start preparing for retirement as well? I am an office bearer. And it seems as if there's not very much trust in office bearers anymore. And how many waves have there not been beating against the church of Jesus Christ? Is it not understandable that as an office bearer, I have some level of anxiety and fear as I think about the future of the church of Jesus Christ? Beloved, is it not the case that regardless of what position we are in in life, 
we can so easily try to justify our fear as if this is a sanctified and a holy activity before Jehovah God. It's almost as if that's what God would expect of me in this situation of life, who would not be fearful. And then we need to hear the words of Jesus. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith in my ability to control this particular circumstance of life in which I have placed you? The love of Jesus Christ becomes even more evident when we see the form of the admonishment given unto them form of the admonishment did not, was not given to them by way of a statement, a declaration, an assertion. Jesus Christ, being woken up from his sleep, did not come to the disciples and shake his finger in their face and faces and say, oh, You disciples, you are so fearful all the time, and you have no faith in this particular circumstance. No, he did not come with statements, but he came with a question, several questions. He came with questions because he cared for his disciples. And he desired that his disciples would be receptive to his instruction in this particular circumstance. And it seems the quickest way to make somebody be unreceptive to good instruction is to come with a finger in their face with strong accusations, you did this, you did that, and you ought to repent of all of these wicked deeds that you've done. As soon as somebody comes with strong statements to us, what do we do? Put up the walls. I'm not listening to what you have to say. I don't like the tone in which you came to me. Jesus came to them with love. He treated them as rational, thinking people and he came with questions questions that were intended to stimulate their thoughts to get them to consider for themselves whether or not they were guilty of being fearful and whether or not they were guilty of having no faith in that particular instance And so Jesus comes to us and he gives us the same questions. Are you fearful? Why are you fearful? Are you fearful for your children? Are you fearful for the church? 
Are you fearful for your health? How is it that ye have no faith in this particular circumstance? How is it that you, who have been catechized from your youth in the truths of God's Word, you who have been instructed in the sovereignty of God, you who know of the benevolence of God to us, His people, how is it that you and I by nature as well have no faith when the trials of life come and would sweep over us? How is it? that we who have been bought with the blood of the Lamb, that we who have been reconciled unto God by the death of His Son, how is it that we who have the earnest of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, who is the promised comforter. How can we have no faith in the trials of this life? Having admonished the disciples, Jesus admonished the sea. He addressed the wind, and then he addressed the sea. He arose, verse 39, and rebuked the wind. Sounds like a parent talking to a child. Rebuked the wind. And he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. Literally, Hushed, be silent. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The disciples, beholding the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, even over wind and the sea responded with fear. Verse 41, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Startling that they responded with fear. It seems as if they made no advancement in this lesson that God gave unto them. They started out fearful, and Jesus admonished them and calmed the sea, and, and then they were fearful again. But we must know, beloved, that there is advancement here in the disciples. You see, there are two different types 
depths of fear. There's a holy fear. And then there's a sinful fear. The original language, the Greek, from which you receive the translation in King James English, uses two different words in the original, making all the more clear that this is not the same fear now that's found in the hearts of the disciples after the storm. Before, or rather during the storm, the disciples had a fear that arose out of unbelief. It was a faithless terror that that sea would swallow them up and they would die there in the Sea of Galilee. But the fear that they had after the admonishment of Jesus and after the sea was calmed, was a fear that arose out of faith in God. It was a fear that is a respect and a holy admiration of the greatness, the power, and the love of God. The disciples had learned their lesson. And now they stood before God's own Son, and they praised Him, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? You see, God is pleased to bring us through trying circumstances so that we might learn to fear Him all the more. God knows what our particular weaknesses are. God knows the struggles that we have in our hearts with weakness of faith, of doubting the sufficiency of His Word, doubting the power of Jesus Christ to direct all things unto that end that God has ordained for it. God knows of that weakness of faith that we have, but we aren't always so aware of it. And so God, because He loves us, chastens us and sends us through trials in this life. And as He sends us through those trials, God peels back the layers to reveal what is hidden underneath. He reveals that weakness of faith But then the love of God is this. He does not leave us there. But He declares with authority so great that even the wind and the seas obey Him. Peace. Be still. He says that in our hearts. He says that through the Holy Spirit who is spread abroad in our hearts. He says that, commanding that we take our eyes off of the things of this earth and that we lift our gaze heavenward and behold His Son 
King of kings and Lord of lords, sitting at his right hand. And he works within our hearts so that we are filled with a holy admiration and respect for him. All praise, honor, and glory be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we confess that we enter into thy kingdom through much tribulation. Will thou strengthen our faith that we might believe thy word that all things work together for the good of those who fear thy name. And if there be any anxious, any fearful among us, wilt thou for Jesus' sake comfort and give us that hope of life with thee in heaven. Amen.